Welcome to Vital Conversations, a podcast produced by Lord Mayor's Charitable Foundation. In each episode, CEO Dr. Catherine Brown sits down with guests from the philanthropic, social enterprise and research sectors to discuss the most compelling issues that are affecting Melbourne today. In this, our first episode of Vital Conversations, Catherine will be sitting down with Dr. Susan Feldman. Dr. Feldman was the founding director of the ALMA Unit for Women and Ageing at the University of Melbourne. Susan is also Adjunct Associate Professor at Monash University's Healthy Ageing Unit Faculty of Medicine, Nursing and Health Sciences. So, welcome Susan. It's absolutely great to have you as our first expert to interview in our Vital Conversations podcast series, which is going to be talking about issues that we're working on at the Foundation. So this first interview with you is very special to me because you've been you know, a great friend of ours, an advisor in the era of older women really for a number of years and I'll go over that but what we're going to be talking about is the vital conversations work that you've been doing with us but first I really want to say that you are really Australia's leading expert on older women and I think as an adjunct professor at Monash University in the Faculty of Medicine, Nursing and Health Sciences your expertise over you know a number of of years gives you amazing insights into this issue as an academic but also really a you know it's a lived experience too which makes it really interesting (laughs) so where this journey started for us at the foundation was when we read the productivity commission's report on deep and persistent disadvantage which was published in 2013 And in that it said that half a million Australian women over 65 were living in long-term income poverty. And I think you remember we had the Productivity Commission come and talk to some foundations and the Reichstein Foundation co-hosted that. And then we thought after that, well, what do we do? This is a really serious and sort of unspoken about issue. So the first piece of work you did was Time of Our Lives, where we commissioned you to look into that. Do you want to just talk about that briefly? The Time of Our Lives was stimulated by you here because you wanted to know what services were thinking about the Productivity Commission's report. So it's all very well, isn't it, to to get this data, to get all these statistics, but what's going on out there? So we worked with you and, and my colleague, Dr Harriet Rademacher, went to interview services for their views. First and foremost, what did they think was happening and why? And also, what are the interventions, maybe the solutions, maybe the support for older women? So that was really the precursor to the next piece of work. There's actually a story here about older women, and we're not sure that we really understand it. And vital signs, when it's used in Canada can have another step which is vital conversations and that's when you dig deeper on the issue so we thought let's do a vital conversation on older women and find out what they're thinking and what these statistics mean in their real lives and so that's where you come in and you and Harriet started on this research piece which you might want to talk about the approach you took with the focus groups and who the women were and so on. So just to go back to the Vital Signs report, I came to the launch of the Vital Signs and I listened to Ian Bird, Mm -hmm. who is from the Community Foundation of Canada, talking about the next step. And went home, had a think, then I think I came in and in my normal 
I would like to say, uppity way, suggested that maybe what could be quite wonderful would be go and ask the women themselves what they think about the findings of vital science in the domains that are relevant to them and to your report. Mm. And I had listened to him and he said the next step to any of these vital signs is obviously community engagement. Yeah. So that's what we planned with you. You were so open to the idea. Yeah, well, I mean, the vital conversations is, you know, the next step. I've been wanting us to do some more sort of deeper thinking about the outputs really of vital science so when you suggested this it was just a meeting of the minds and a perfect (laughs) project (laughs) and I think also to be reminded I remind myself and also to remind others other organizations and researchers that it's terribly important to ask people what they think if you care Mm. if you just want the data that's terrific well it's very important and there's another project we're actually supporting at the moment through the Asian Venture Philanthropy Network, yeah. and that's about shared insight. It's Women's Property Initiative. We put them forward to be part of this oh, international fabulous. project, fabulous. and they're then listening to the women who live in their housing units. So it's quite well connected. Anyway, back back to the big uh, the big picture, a big project here. Yes. So the other point I want to make is that qualitative data, interview data, comments and insights from participants is equally as important as quantitative data if conducted with the rigor that I would hope that all of us conduct our research anyway. So we looked at we looked at vital signs. We identified with you and your team seven or eight key areas, and they were social isolation and loneliness. There was housing insecurity, mental health was one, I think physical health was another, access to transport and engagement generally as, as, as a start. We then looked at the demographic data mm. and your statistical people here who have extraordinary skills sat with us and we, we cut up Greater Melbourne and chose, according to the data that you had gathered for Vital Signs, some LGAs, local government areas, that might be appropriate. Well, in the end, we ended up going to 22, Mm. not 15, (laughs) uh, which is even 14 that we'd chosen, but we ended up in 22 because that's the way it is. So this report actually reflects, we think, quite well the statistical analyses that you had done around the populations of older women in Greater Melbourne. Mm. That's that's excellent. Let's talk about the actual findings. Tell, Tell me what findings stand out for you as being new, or maybe terrifying insights. This is not in any order of priority because I must say that most people's lives are a complex web, mm-hmm. as we know, and if you shake one bit of the web, the other bit of the web gets yeah. disrupted. But what stood out for us was the lack of social connectedness and the impact that that has. And that doesn't mean being connected to people because of status or where you live, etc., but the real engagement with other human beings at a meaningful level as you get older is really, I think, at the centre of everything. And, and when we asked the women, we thought that they would say immediately, oh, being in good health. The question was, what is life like for you as you grow older as an older woman and what is important? Health didn't really rate until you got into the nitty-gritty of a conversation. It was, it was immediately having a role, a place, a connection, a, a feeling of belonging, because that impacts then on mental health, mm-hmm. physical health, family. That, that was the, 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 the linchpin. And did that connect through then to economic well-being as well? Totally. 
because you can't do anything if you don't have economic capacity. Even a cup of coffee with a group of friends may seem quite insignificant when we're talking about vast populations and their health and well-being. Mm. But if you can't afford that, and many women have to think carefully about that, then how are you going to be able to afford the rent? Mm. How can you afford the heating, the cooling, the public transport? The transport. The transport. Transport actually came through as an issue that I was a little surprised about in terms of just how much that leads to isolation. And it wasn't just public transport, it was also cars and being able to drive in our busy city, in our growing city. Have the courage to drive, have the capacity, uh, the willingness, because a lot of people, young and old, will say, oh, I'm not going into that traffic. I'm not surprised by that because transport over the many, many decades with older women. However, this was particularly different, I think, because the women are watching a city quite normally and naturally grow around them. Mm. So there are a number of elements that they're being immediately affected by and they can see in the long term will affect their capacity to move, to access health services, visit family who may live and mostly live on the other side of town. So again, we can move the dice around and we can put whatever it is in we in the centre of health and well being of older people's lives and older women. However, For this purpose, it was social connectedness and belonging. However, it's where you live Mm. that matters. Yeah, so, I mean, where you live is obviously in terms of place and access to services and transport, but also in terms of housing. And one of the findings talks about affordable housing and rental Mm. properties specifically designed for older, particularly single women, are a missing component in many proposals. Yep. Do you want to expand on that? What sort of ideas were coming forward? It made both of us, my my research partner and myself and other women, very, very sad and very concerned that you... you, um, We think that people grow old happily in their home. Don't think a lot about people who've been in a home or been in secure rental or not secure rental for most of their lives and at the the, the end of their lives are confronted with having to continue to live in substandard housing. Mm -hmm. The the pensions and benefits or indeed superannuation, they can't afford the rent, that's eroding. And so in that you lose communities, you have to move. I would not like to be in the rental market right now, whether I'm young or old. Mm. It's unaffordable. And where do you go? I was quite, sh- I think, quite shocked also by one, one other element is the women's insecurity in, in face of marriage breakdown or family disruption, and it's often their home if they own a home or their living arrangements that are under siege. Mm. That disruption is cataclysmic. It was quite shocking and very upsetting and, to and hear. And something that, as you say, people feel secure about, and we all know that a stable home is kind of the basis almost for everything. Yes. If that's not there, you know, then you're in a very vulnerable position. Many of the older women, and we've got, I think, about 68% from memory, but don't quote me, but it's quite high of women lived in their own homes. Now, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean to say they can continue to stay as they get older for a whole lot of reasons, economic included. But for the women, understood clearly that home ownership as pushed on them by their families, mm-hmm. the very old cohort, the women in the 80s and 90s, said our parents said to us, home ownership is 
everything mm. in your life. Now that's evaded been elusive so the younger cohorts haven't been able to afford to buy it I'm talking about women 50s and 60s but the other thing is in a marriage breakdown etc or poor health it's the house that goes Mm. and now what or the house is not suitable you can't heat it it's too hot did any of them speak about you know new models of like co-housing with other older women. I know in Germany, for example, they have some developments where older women have their own units, but they share garden and laundry and, you know, some facilities together. Yes. Is is that sort of model? Did anyone talk about that? Yes, they did. They actually suggested... uh, There were a lot of suggestions and and pretty pretty local suggestions, but they're things that I know that you're thinking about and the people you work with are thinking about, down to even sharing meals. Why can't we invite someone to our home on a regular basis but casually Mm. casual to share a meal with us because it's horrible to eat alone Mm. and maybe somebody might need to stay one or two nights a week Mm -hmm. for that purpose or sharing a house with someone in a way that's outside of perhaps a formal service but encouraging people and connecting people who may have uh, too many bedrooms they're still in their family home but the women were yes we have resources why can't we share them and why can't we overcome the stereotype Mm. of well it's my private space I don't want to live with someone else they suggested that they suggested very much they knew about equity programs where maybe they could apply but they didn't they didn't know how or if they fell outside of the perhaps the assessment maybe they had too much money yes they talked about sharing so I think about the housing so let me just tell you what they said in case you want me to it's exploring the potential of short and long-term mutually beneficial shared living arrangements to address concerns around social connectedness loneliness and housing affordability. So that's the one I think that brings it all brings it together. together. And I mean it's interesting because we're looking at things like community land trust and shared equity models yes. and we've started to fund you know some of the early stages of, of those projects. Yeah. So I think to be open to all different models is really important. Can I move to another topic that I thought was really disturbing? Excessive and exploitative childcare responsibilities exist within family settings and can often lead to compromised physical, mental and social health. And as someone who whose own lovely mother did look after one of my sons for one day a week when he was uh, preschool and they still have a special relationship. I found this very disturbing that some women are doing too much childcare, that they're very isolated, particularly the people that English is not their first language. And I'd just like you to explain that a little bit more because it it was a sort of unexpected finding. It was unexpected. On one hand, it's unexpected. On the other hand, it's not a new knowledge. Mm. People who are interested in intergenerational relationships, I'm, I'm talking at an academic level and a community level as well, I guess, have known and discussed the the difficulties of balancing being involved with your family, having caring relationships and the over-exploitation. Oh, we were actually quite shocked at the vehemence of some of the discussions people use the word slavery Mm. over and over again that women are living in slave-like conditions now that's at one end of the spectrum and I I don't for one minute want to even suggest that grandparents are, Mm. are living in slavery but at one end of the spectrum there are women without choices and often their housing is tied 
and their financial security is tied to their family. And it's not only in non-English speaking communities, but we found it talked about more this time round and very specific parts of Melbourne. But I do want to emphasise it's not only people from non-speaking backgrounds. However, the women don't have a choice mm. very often if they're tied to their family and the men too, uh, as I said, through housing and financial relationships. Often they, they will do this because family's everything. We all do that. Mm. And we love being with our grandchildren. This is a huge debate in every cafe and restaurant in Melbourne right now amongst people of my age. Just go tune in. And they're all <laughs> talking about grandparenting duties and they adore their grandchildren. But look, I've done three days this week and next week's school holidays. And that's fine, but then we get down to the deeper exploitation, mm. where there's often financial exploitation. And there's been a terrific couple of terrific reports that have looked at that financial relationship in terms of caring for an older person. Mm. So you come live with me, you do childcare and everything else, and I will take care of you and all your needs as you grow older. And there's, there's reports out there very current right now about what happens if that breaks down. Mm. On the other side of it, I think older women as volunteers and older men as volunteers, again, there's been quite a lot written. If you go and look at the gross national product or whatever else and do some financials, you'll find that the contribution of people who volunteer, particularly older people, and childcare volunteering duties is astronomical. Mm because families can't afford to pay for childcare or they just presume. There's, there's a bit of a theme in this, not just this topic, but the earlier one about unpaid work. Yes. That's quite interesting, isn't it, how we value yeah. unpaid, unpaid work, work in our community? Mm. Hospitals couldn't function without it. Mm. Um, community services couldn't function without unpaid work. I mean, we... We thrive on it and we can't function, but this is this is unique, I think, I, isn't I, it? Yeah, and I think you know the value of volunteering can be amazing both ways yes. for the organisation and the person, and it does address some of those isolation questions. But I, I feel bitterness maybe on behalf of older women yeah. that they have basically raised families, made community organisations work, supported many men in their great careers done part-time work, done casual work to sort of help make ends meet and then now they're not respected for this massive contribution mm -hmm. and they're kind of cut off. And the other theme I think that comes through here is that what an educated resource they are. Oh, yes. I mean, women in Australia are the most educated in the whole world. And, and I think... It's just quite incredible. That's and right. I just sat there by the end of this report thinking... <laughs> There's all this wisdom and all these people that can contribute so much more. What is this discrimination and the ageism about? It's, it's, it's appalling, really. Uh, and and you, you've tapped something really interesting because, you know, in past work, often the demographic shows that women, particularly with women who came here as migrants or etc. in the 50s and 60s, the education levels were quite low. But this time, and it was a, a very lovely sample across Greater Melbourne, the education levels, and it's in front of me, and we're just a random sample, 41% tertiary, 32 secondary, a certificate or a diploma 25 and then percent and then other 2%. Now we were actually quite shocked by the educational levels mm. and it goes back to we've, we're wasting or not valuing this extraordinary resource of experience 
Yeah. Not if your body's wise. <laughs> I know that. But um, even as you get older. But I think this extraordinary resource is being neglected and we could... You can use it, and the women want to mm. contribute either both at a family, community, or a broader level if given the opportunity. Yeah, not th- make cups of tea. No, and no. I, I think that's right. I mean, older women want to be seen. I mean, as you know, Iris Apfel is one of you know the people yes. I always put on presentations, <laughs> over ninety and still looking amazing, yeah. and still got her interior design business in New York and. I mean, it's amazing how much energy and knowledge and, and so on a lot of older women have. So if we can encourage you know, the voice of older women to be heard in policy development, I think that would be a very important thing. So yes. we, we have actually sent the report to, to various ministers and had some very nice replies. So I think we need to look at how, how that works. But you know, addressing ageism... Mm-hmm. is such a critical thing. I mean, I know a lot of women, well, really from my age on, they feel they disappear. Yes. And they well, feel you they're not they feel they're not seen anymore. It is it's quite a disconcerting moment when and somehow older women need to regain, <laughs> you know, status in our community. And and that's right and it's we do disappear, and I think the con- we, I think we think about the consequences of that mm. for ourselves and also the community. I mean, why ignore a vast percentage of the community who can offer so much, both at a personal and professional and level, and also within family community? Yeah, no, it's it's one of. You know, Australia's great untapped resources. Totally. So just one last question. You know us and you know about philanthropy and you know I'm interested in social innovation and philanthropy as an investor in social innovation for the benefit of the community. If you had a couple of recommendations that you think we should work on, what would they be? The one that absolutely comes to my mind is housing. It's not an area that I'm an expert in, but I know enough about the impact of it. Mm. been around enough to understand the basics. Uh-huh. I think housing, I think access to affordable, secure mm. housing, secure whether it's rent, whether it's shared, that's run really well that's not the Ministry of Housing model. I mean, I, I did work in homelessness and in SAP for a long time, and I, mm. I, it's not that kind of housing we're talking about, mm. necessarily only. There are great minds and a lot of financial capacity in this town mm. to assist people, to well, live with dignity. Yeah, and, I mean, that's certainly been a priority for us. Yes, for the last, well, really 10 years, starting in homelessness, but now moving more into affordable housing, the whole range. Yes. And older women and young people are sort of quite serious lenses we have. I won't go through the projects we've funded, but you will be pleased to know in our next strategic plan it's still a priority in this area. So we will be having more conversations with you and we will be funding more projects in this area, particularly innovative ones that are testing new um, shared sort of approaches. Yeah. So thank you, Susan. That was fantastic to talk with you and look forward to continuing our our partnership in this area. Thank you for joining us on our first episode of Vital Conversations. To learn more and to subscribe, please visit lmcf.org.au forward slash podcast. 
and stay up to date on Facebook and Twitter via at Melbourne LMCF. <laughs>